Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the inauguration of Tech It Out 2.0, the Ryan O. edition. From this time forward, every first Friday of the month, I will be your guide through the murky but exciting land of technology aimed at and for the blindness community. Pardon the bad grammar. First and foremost, I want to give a shout out to Outlook Nebraska and the fine folks over there. For about the last five years, every first Friday of the month, they have consistently brought you very informative and interesting discussions. There have been a range of voices from Lisa Kelly, Donovan Ainsworth, Mick Salzman, the late Doug Wampler, God rest his soul, and uh, Dennis Nelson, just to name a few. And we hope to bring you many of those voices in the coming months to be a part of this program because I know those are voices that you, the listeners, are familiar with. Also, I want to give a friendly shout-out and thank you to John and Rita Klingman, who I know are listening. They missed the Friday, February edition of Tech It Out. John and Rita are two of our favorite listeners. They're like those neighbors that live next door to you, and they get mad at you when you have a loud party that goes too late. They get mad at you when you sunbathe with no clothing on your back patio, and then they turn around and they tell you that your dog is outside when you thought he was in. They watch your house while you're gone. They bring you a plate of cookies out of nowhere. So God bless John and Rita, two of our favorite listeners. This month, I'm going to bring you a conversation I had last summer with Steve Sawson, a friend of mine who lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He is an accessibility expert in the blindness field. And we're going to talk about all things Twitter and social media, about the changes on Twitter. So now, without further ado... Steve Sawson on Twitter, social media, and accessibility for the blind right here on Tech It Out. Steve, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. It is great to have you. Now, can you kind of first, before we get to the lovely Twitter question, tell us about your background and uh, how you got interested in tech and kind of some of your qualifications? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, people often ask if I've been blind all my life, and my answer is not yet, uh, but I was born blind. <laughs> and uh, so I grew up uh, and uh, got to work with technology at a very young age. So I was really fortunate. Uh, didn't realize that accessibility was a field as such. And so I uh, went through school, went through college, and was waiting to get to work with my shiny new degree. And surprise, surprise, my phone was not ringing off the hook. And um, I'd gotten a call from someone who had gotten a job and wasn't able to start because their system wasn't very accessible. And he said, you know, Steve, I know you know a lot about this stuff. Could you help me out? I did. And he told other people. And that's sort of what launched my accessibility career. And that was... 20 plus years ago. So I've worked in a number of different places, uh, for including as a private contractor working for the VA and for the uh, main state department of, uh, yeah, <laughs> division for the blind and visually impaired. Uh, and then I worked for Target uh, in the late, uh, just before 2010, 2011, around that era, uh, when they were going through a major accessibility lawsuit. And uh, now I do accessibility at a Midwest healthcare organization. This, I think we've definitely established that you know what you're talking about when it comes to accessibility. What do you know about the history of Twitter? Where did it come from and what kind of, what was its evolution? 
Well, I I don't know all of the history, but I do know that when I first started hearing about it on This Week in Tech, which uh, is a program produced by Leo Laporte, I thought this has got to be the dumbest thing ever. I, at the time, you could you could only write 140 characters, and I thought. Who would do this? Who has so much time on their hands that they could tweet out things? And I was looking at some of the Twitter feeds and I saw such inspiring messages as just had an egg salad sandwich for lunch. And I thought, that's awesome for you. But why do I care about that? And I didn't want to join it. But the idea was somehow interesting to people in that you could communicate in 140 characters these short messages and you could you could broadcast your your status or basically what you were doing and people could keep up with you uh could follow your life and the reason it was such a short message was because back then you could actually receive those messages as text messages to your phone and this worked internationally and there is a Hard, then, well, then there was a hard character limit of 140 characters if you received a text message on the phone. That's why there was this limitation. The idea being that you could interact with this Twitter thing by texting a phone number from your phone. So you didn't need a browser. You didn't need a computer. You just needed a phone. My good old Nokia phone worked great back in the day. So we're we're going way back. But anyone who had a phone that could text could get on Twitter. And that really was made it possible for people all over the world to get on this social network uh, who may not have good internet or any internet at all or might not have access to a computer at home but might have you know uh, a Nokia or a flip phone or any sort of device. One of the things that came up in in our initial interaction and I think it was around late October early November uh, was you said uh, something about the Twitter accessibility team. Do you remember the beginnings of that? When and where did the uh, Twitter accessibility team get started? I don't know, except that it happened quietly, slowly, and effectively. Uh, At first, there was no accessibility team, uh, and part of that was because there wasn't much to make accessible. Um, And then as they started building their own client and the website and that sort of stuff, um, things changed, and a lot of people had been complaining about accessibility, and I believe they brought like one person on to like do all the accessibility stuff. Uh, And it was one of these situations that unfortunately I've seen happen many times where let's bring on an accessibility person and not necessarily listen, but we'll have this person and we're doing accessibility because, you know, we have a person that does that. Um, And it was really difficult Uh, over time, though, that person was able to make some traction and uh, get things done. And then the team slowly grew. And um, I was surprised uh, when the the entire team was eventually laid off. I was surprised how many people were actually on it. Um, of course, Twitter itself had had gone through a number of changes in terms of what they were offering and the the services that were available. But the team that supported that was uh, was pretty large. And then in 2022, Elon Musk buys Twitter. That in itself is one hell of a story, which I could never fully track. It was like he wanted to buy it. And then there was a time when he didn't want to buy it and he wanted to get out of it and he couldn't get out of it. And then eventually he takes it over. So let's let's bring it back after he buys Twitter. Let's bring it back to uh, accessibility uh, for blind people. Uh, there's a lot of conservatives and right wingers and, and even a lot of free speech advocates that are cheering the fact that he got it. And you uh, put out a tweet 
and I can't remember it exactly, but essentially you were concerned when he fired the entire accessibility board. You were worried that a lot of people around the world would lose their voice. Can you give me a look into your thinking at the time? Uh, what made you so nervous? Yeah, absolutely. So I think to be to be a little bit fair, uh, Elon didn't say, you know, I want to get rid of the accessibility team. Uh, one of the things he did was he really streamlined Twitter because he spent a lot of money and, and you know, had to somehow make money with this thing he bought. Uh, and so he he streamlined a lot of of employees at, at Twitter and, and operations and that sort of stuff. And the accessibility team was part of a bigger team. So I don't think he targeted the accessibility team per se. I think he targeted a larger team that he didn't feel uh, was needed at Twitter. And as part of letting that team go, he also lost the accessibility team. And I've, the reason I was so concerned, though, was, you know, we're very fortunate here to have a lot of technology and the ability to get it. A lot of us have, have been provided with technology through various programs. Um, technology on the whole is not as expensive as it is in other parts of the world. Um, but that isn't true everywhere. And there are places, uh, you know, where people really are limited in the technology that they have access to and uh, the services that they have access to. And, and um, you know, without having a certain uh, level of skill or a certain level of proficiency with English. And Twitter, you know, even toward the end, still was easy to use and still was easily available on less modern technology uh, and, and didn't require, you know, broadband. So you could use it in places where, you know, internet connectivity may not be stable or, or consistent or indeed fast. And my thought was that, you know, for many people, uh, Twitter was a way to tune into the world and know kind of what was going on. And um, that could potentially be lost if it became uh, inaccessible, that that would be cut off, uh, not intentionally, but if all of a sudden the timeline wouldn't read anymore, uh, it would be really hard to follow uh, people and, and understand what's going on. And I think a lot of people had become dependent to a degree on Twitter, both to receive information and also to send information out. And uh, my concern was that that could easily disappear, uh, not intentionally, but unintentionally, because there was no one there to say, hey, wait a minute, if if we do this, this bad thing is going to happen. Uh, they may have done it anyway, but without anyone there to caution, uh, you know, there would be nothing preventing it from happening. And uh, so that was that was where my concern was was really coming from. Let's talk about some of the changes that have happened on Twitter uh, and to Twitter. At first, my view was let's not panic. Elon Musk, he's just a business guy. We don't know accessibility is going to be broken. That was kind of, in a nutshell, my response to you. That was in late October of 22. And I remember sometime in March, I can't remember the exact date, but it was a Thursday night around 9 o'clock, my Twitterific stopped working. And yeah. it wasn't long before I figured out they broke Twitterific deliberately. Uh, and then I started hearing reports, other Twitter apps uh, that a lot of blind people were using as third-party clients were also not working uh, both on the iPhone, on Androids, on desktops, on Macs, everywhere. What? How did that look from your perspective? 
Well, it, it was, of course, very sad because the, the, one of the reasons I loved Twitter was that everyone could use it in the way that made the most sense for them. And that was clearly going away. Uh, and so from that perspective, I was sad. I wasn't super surprised because, again, um, you know, he is a businessman. He has to make money. And the only way you can make money is to understand what it is that you have so that you can you can, you know, value it. Uh, and that's really tough when everyone is doing their own thing. It's hard to understand how the service is being used. Uh, for example, if, if I'm counting on an ability to distribute ads to to uh, people that use my service and people are using a client that blocks those ads or doesn't permit those ads, well, advertisers aren't going to advertise with me because they're going to say, well, geez, you know, you, you can't even reach all of the people that use your service because they're using clients that block those ads or that don't permit them. And they're right, you know, and so the only way to really monetize it uh, easily or quickly would be to just not allow that stuff to happen, right? Cut off any sort of third party client access, then you control everything about the experience, you know, you, you control yep. the network, the client. Um, I think longer term, there's other ways to deal with it. But you know, he I, I, it's hard to get in anyone else's head, right? But again, back to my impulse purchase, right? He bought a thing and he's got it home and it's like, oh my God, I can't believe I spent this much money. Um, I, I could see him wanting to uh, turn this thing profitable as soon as possible, given how much he paid for it. And I would love to think that, gosh, if I was ever in his shoes and had done this, I would have approached it a different way. But I don't know, because uh, trying to monetize something like Twitter is a longer term prospect, and it would really take a lot of time and and work to make that happen. And, um, you know, I probably want to make money with it sooner rather than later. And so it probably was the fastest means to an end, or probably that's how he... Uh, viewed it again, not wanting to target people with disabilities or blind people, but uh, wanting to target the ability of anyone to use clients that would circumvent ads or any other thing that they might do to generate revenue. Right. I think that was really the driver for it. And yep. yeah, it was very sad. Well, of course, we're all funneled for, for those of us that have chosen to stay. Um, and, and you and I both are still on Twitter. We are funneled through the regular app. How has your user experience uh, been using that? Well, it's an interesting question because I think, you know, one of the things that gets confusing sometimes is the difference between user experience and accessibility. Um, and the reason Yay. I mentioned that... I'm, I'm applauding you, Steve, because this is such a critical point. So listeners, please pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Go you. ahead. Um, I, I get a lot of email from people uh where i work because uh, i i have the accessibility inbox comes to me so if someone has an accessibility complaint or concern they they write to me and some of the messages i get do legitimately have accessibility issues in them um, i tried to do this this doesn't work there's an accessibility problem but a lot of the messages i get are i just don't like the way that it works for me therefore it's inaccessible and uh one of the things that i I tell people is, you know, accessibility is about equal access. It doesn't mean better access and it doesn't mean good experience. It'd be great if it meant those things, but it doesn't. Um, you can have a very crummy experience and make it accessible uh, and it still be a very crummy experience. As long as it's equally crummy for everyone, 
it's accessible, right? It doesn't have to be a good experience. And so where this impacts Twitter or my, my thoughts of Twitter is I've never been a fan of even when the accessibility team was still in full swing, I just never liked the Twitter client because I didn't like the way that things were laid out. I didn't like the way certain things were promoted. I get that that's kind of how they make money with Twitter, but I didn't like it. I didn't like the client. I didn't, you know, uh, but I didn't not like it for accessibility reasons. I liked it. I didn't like it because of the experience of, that, of, of using it. And, you know, fast forwarding to today, um, you know, I still don't like it. I I feel like the only way to use it is to read tweets backward from top to bottom, newest to oldest, and I kind of want to read them oldest to newest, but then things don't make any sense. Um, and that frustrates me, but that's not accessibility and that's more user experience. And so uh, there have been some accessibility issues that have, have crept in with time. Uh, fortunately, they haven't been major, uh, nothing that's been a, a, a blocker. Uh, to using Twitter, which is great. You know, it, it hasn't been all doom and gloom, but it is unfortunate because what really has suffered by virtue of being funneled into their client is that the experience is not the same caliber as I had kind of gotten used to with something. No, it sure isn't. Terrific. It is not. Well, Steve, of course, you and I can sit here all day and complain about Twitter at this point, but uh, being that we're in a free market economy, it was only a matter of time before competitors and alternatives to Twitter came along. I remember the first one was Parler. That was supposed to be right-wing Twitter, and uh, they were around circa, I want to say, 2019, 2020. I don't think they're around anymore. But now we've got Mastodon, We've got Sky Blue, and the most promising one looks like it might be Threads, which is another Zuckerberg uh, product. Oh, boy. Um, what's your take on those? Well, I, I didn't do anything with uh, Parlor or, or Blue Sky, which iOS, if you use the Samantha voice, calls Blue Ski. I think that's kind of oh, fun. Oh, you're right. Blue, Blue Ski. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I I don't know. I think those were not I, while they were designed to be Twitter competitors. I think they were also in large part to um, fill the gap of of Trump being banned from Twitter. Uh, not just not just him, but this idea that you know we want a place that's truly free speech, not that's like pseudo free and uh, that sort of thing. You know, they weren't looking necessarily to take over Twitter, but just to be alternatives for groups that, you know, uh, wanted alternatives, which is awesome. Uh, Mastodon is fascinating in its own right because it's it's open source. It's free. And the way that it works is it's it it's uses something called federation. And the idea is that it's not centralized, meaning it's not owned by any one particular company or organization. Uh, I can have my own Mastodon server with my own users and you can have your own Mastodon server with your own users and because of the magic of federation our two servers can talk to each other and so my users can talk to your users and so I signed up a while ago and the only people using Mastodon were people who were talking about Mastodon it was like hey this is a great concept yeah it's a great concept so it was like this weird echo chamber and so uh when everything started happening with twitter suddenly people started discovering mastodon and it really 
was challenging at first because there were a lot of different servers that were, um, you know, uh, hosted by people, some, some of them in their basements and other places. And suddenly they were getting overwhelmed by all of these people coming from Twitter. And um, it, it took a little while for things to settle down. But the neat thing about Mastodon and more so than Mastodon is this, this whole, what they're calling the Fediverse, uh, of which Mastodon is a part, is this idea that let's find a way to communicate without having a central hub or a central ownership of it. And the closest sort of thing to what Federation is, is email, really. I mean, I can have a, an account on Gmail uh, and you might have an account on iCloud.com and we can still email each other, even though I'm using Gmail and you're using something else. Uh, we're still able to send email because there's a way for email servers to, to talk to each other in a standardized way. And that's really what what the Fediverse and Federa Federation is all about. It's this idea that, you know, I, c I can have my social network. Maybe it's called Mastodon. Maybe it's called something else. And um, it can communicate with users who are using an entirely different social network. Very difficult to monetize something like that, but very powerful in that uh, if one of them goes away or if one of them decides to enact some sort of rules that uh, people don't like, um, the whole thing doesn't just end it you know people can migrate to another one um and so it's very open and mastodon is is probably the largest one in that space there's a bunch of others as well that exist and um i think conceptually it's really cool it's a little bit confusing i think for people coming directly from twitter but the concept like i say is very much like email and um it's it's neat to take it to see it take off uh, enter stage right, Mark Zuckerberg with Threads, and I find Threads fascinating because uh, while it is owned by Meta, uh, they are promising to federate it in an upcoming version. Hopefully, they deliver on that promise. But the idea is they they want to own it, but they also want to open it up so that it can communicate with uh, other social networks, be that Mastodon or other other networks on the Fediverse. And if they do that, that could be extremely powerful. Uh, Threads got 50 million users overnight, not because 50 million people signed up, but because in order to use Threads, all you have to do is have an existing Instagram account. Uh, so for example, when I signed into it, I used my Instagram account that I haven't used in probably four or five years. Um, I don't even remember when I set my Instagram account up, but if you have one, you can log into Threads, uh, without doing anything else. So what what Zuckerberg brings to the table with threads is not just a new social network, but he also has the user base. They're already signed up. You know, anyone who has an Instagram account or has ever had one is already on threads. And so um, the 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 50 million people overnight thing is is fascinating. But a lot of those people we're already there uh, by virtue of having an Instagram account. And that's hugely powerful because most businesses have to find their customers and, and their users. Uh, he showed up with them. And so that's, that's fascinating to me. And if they really do federate it, um, you know, I, I kind of think of it as, as like maybe the more modern version of AOL. Uh, I don't know if anyone remembers way back when AOL. Oh yeah. You know, it was a it was a it was a service that was easy to use. People loved it, uh, but it didn't lock you in. I mean, you had 
you know, the AOL services and whatever, but you could email people outside of AOL and you could jump on AOL's uh, instant messaging chat rooms and talk to people outside of AOL. So it was this idea that, you know, let's create a good experience for people that, that want to pay us and yet open it up so that we're not keeping people stuck here. They can communicate and interact with people outside of our sphere. And I could see this threads being sort of a similar thing where Meta owns it, monetizes it, um, which which doesn't mean they're going to charge users. It means more than, you know, maybe through advertising or something, um, you know, do things the way they want to do them, but not restrict people from being able to communicate to and from the network, uh, you know, to other federated networks, whether it's uh, Mastodon or uh friendly or any of the other networks that are out there and um that it's you know sort of full circle back to aol again in terms of of how that kind of worked which is really interesting so it'll be interesting to see what happens with threads how are mastodon and threads from an accessibility standpoint if the if the national federation of the blind is posting their the bulk of their convention stuff on mastodon i have to assume that it's pretty friendly to blind people well, Mastodon is, uh, it's since it's open source and nobody owns it, uh, the nice thing about it is we're kind of where we were in those early days of Twitter, where anybody who wants to can make a client for it. Uh, so the official Mastodon client works pretty well, and the website is pretty accessible, but there are lots of Mastodon clients out there, uh, some of them made by the same people that made the Twitter clients, uh, wow. which is awesome. Uh, we don't have... Uh, the Twitterific folks have not made a Mastodon client, uh, but for anyone who's used the client called Spring on Twitter, which is a, was, was a very accessible Twitter client, um, uh, that developer has created a Mastodon client called Mona, M-O-N-A, uh, which is also very accessible. So what Mastodon brings back to the table is this idea that people can build clients and use Mastodon in the way that makes sense to them. So Mastodon's web page is pretty accessible, but what makes it very appealing is that you have a choice of clients you can use and, uh, you know, accessibility sort of ranges, um, you know, the gambit in terms of how accessible those clients are, but there's lots of them and, and more being developed every day. So we're seeing a lot of clients that, uh, have gone by the wayside with Twitter coming back in Mastodon and a lot of new ones being developed, um, many of which have accessibility built in, which is awesome because it makes, again, for an awesome accessible experience. How about Threads? How does that look? You know, the uh, the deal with Threads is you have to use the Threads client. That's it. If you don't want to use a Threads client, you can't use Threads. Uh, I don't know if they're going to open that up and allow third-party developers to develop clients for it or not i hope that they do but right now you have to use the threads client it's not terrible uh, which is hardly a raving review uh the thing i find frustrating is that for example you cannot add alt text to images so if you want to add descriptive Uh text to an image you can't do that yeah that's not good that's not good and it's frustrating because facebook you can so you'd think meta would know this because they are already doing it with other uh things that they have but but not on threads at least not yet so i don't know where accessibility is in terms of of you know how, how much support or love it's getting right now um 
there are some other issues too. Some of the buttons aren't labeled. So you, you tap it and you just hear button and then you have to sort of press it and hope for the best and figure out what it does. There's not a lot of those, but there's a few. Uh, more than there should be if someone was actively testing it before it was released. So um, I'm not, I, I, I'm, I've been more disappointed in the past with clients where like, you know, it's mainly inaccessible. Threads doesn't fall into that category, but there definitely is room for improvement. Um, and unfortunately though, as it stands right now, it looks like the only way to use threads is to use threads, meaning the actual threads client um, so there's not a lot of choice if you don't if you don't like that client, whether it's because of accessibility or, or as we were saying with Twitter, maybe the experience is not that great. Um, you just don't have a choice um, with threads. Steve, you've been very generous with your time. And as I suspected, we have filled it up. Take care of yourself and keep in touch. Thank you so much. And thank you so much, Steve Sawson, for making yourself available last summer to talk about Twitter, social media and all things accessibility. Again, we're going to have some future voices that you'll find familiar. We hope to have Donovan Ainsworth, Mick Salzman, Mitch Green, Dennis Nelson, and more. I'm trying to figure out a reason to squeeze Becca Jurdy in on this program. And aside from her simply giving me a directorial mandate, I have yet to figure it out, but we will. So this is Ryan O for Tech It Out 2.0, the Rhino edition, bidding you all adieu. Come back next month for more of Tech It Out with yours truly. And in the meantime, you can stay tuned to Radio Talking Book for more great programming coming up straight ahead. Everybody, please stay safe, stay healthy, and live long and prosper.